going on, everybody? Welcome back. It is already episode two of the Rich Behan Show. Can you believe it? I know I can't. What's going on, everybody? I'm your man, Rich Behan. We have a lot to get to today. It's been quite the interesting week here in New York sports. Baseball kicks off the Mets and the Yankees. They had their opening uh, weekend series. Yankees played four. Mets played three. Decent weekends for both teams, uh, but we're going to get to that and a little bit later in the show. Um, so I, I want to start with this. The New York football giants. There's a lot that's going on with them right now and a lot that people don't necessarily understand what's going on because it's very hard to keep track of. Before we released the, uh, the first episode last week, uh, a day or two after that, the giants traded Jason Pierre-Paul. So that's where we'll start here. So like I said, JPP is now gone, and he is with the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. He was traded for a 2018 fourth-round pick. Interesting. When when I first saw this, I was like, okay, this this is interesting, and I don't know what they're doing with this. It's actually a a third-round pick, too. So it's JPP for a 2018 third-round and a fourth-round pick. Now, I know that the Giants are kind of rebuilding, but they're kind of not. So I don't know it, I don't know if you want to call it a full-on rebuild. Maybe you want to call it a retool. Uh, I think that might be a little better. So they get two more draft picks for this year's upcoming draft. But for JPP... To leave now, this Giants defense, I don't know, they're not necessarily in a pickle, but it's not going to look the same. The defensive coordinator, James Betcher, the new guy comes in, and he's going to change up the defensive scheme. So now, was there really room for JPP on this team? And a lot of people say no, and I would tend to agree. But I will say, when I first woke up and I saw the message on my phone that JPP was traded, I was very upset. For, for a long time, JPP was the heart of this team. And even after losing, you know, a, a lot of his hand, he still fought his way back and, like I said, was the heart and soul of this team for about three to four seasons So, in the locker room, you're going to lose a lot. But I will say this. The only way I am happy with this trade is if the Giants go out and then they extend Odell Beckham. Because that is the only way that I see this trade benefiting the, the New York Giants. JPP was set to make around an astronomical $27 million next year, which was just not going to cut it if the Giants had any hope of re-signing Odell. So, to me, that's one of the main reasons the Giants decided to make this trade. And I'm going to be honest, the Giants probably could have gotten more from JPP if he wasn't making that much money. he They could have definitely squeezed a second-round pick out of the Buccaneers if he wasn't making so much money next season. 
So now I move on to another guy that I had just mentioned in Odell Beckham Jr. A man that cannot, no matter what he does, get out of the spotlight in New York. With the kicking of the nets and then getting down on one knee and pretending to marry the kicking nets and... It's just, you. the thing is, you know what you, if, if you're the Giants, you had to know what you signed up for. You had to. Because this was a kid who is extremely talented, and we know this. But sometimes it just, it doesn't click for him. Not everything clicks at the same time. He's got to realize that the amount of talent that he has, he can't be doing the some of the stuff he does. Some of the touchdown celebrations he does. The pretending to be a dog and peeing on the field. Like I mentioned with the kicking nets. Throwing temper tantrums on the sidelines. When you're trying to be a face of a franchise and when you're trying to beg, practically beg, for a max contract... You can't be doing that stuff. You just can't. I'm sorry. And like I said, yes. Is his on-field talent worth a max contract? No doubt. No doubt. He is definitely one of the top three wide receivers in this league. But if you keep acting like this, nobody's going to pay you that. Forget about the Giants. I'll guarantee you any amount of money that the New York football giants will not pay this man if he keeps acting like this. That's just not the way the franchise works. When you look at the history of the New York Giants, you think of a, of a high-class organization. So if Odell keeps acting like this, there is no way the Giants will pay him. And then we moved into the Odell trade talk. Which, oh boy, this was a goodie. I liked this. This, this, was, this was a lot of fun for me. Sitting back and watching and trying to see if teams would actually trade for Odell Beckham Jr. And if the Giants would actually ship Odell Beckham Jr. I was sitting at lunch one day and I got the notification across my phone that, you know, the Giants were shopping him and that the Los Angeles Rams were a possibility. And I sat back and I said, wow, these Rams who have vastly improved this offseason, if they now come in and they get Odell Beckham, that's a Super Bowl team right there. No question. But then the rumors died down and John Mara came out and he said that, no, we're not really shopping Odell, but... We will entertain offers if they are as good as they should be. And then, see, to me, that translates to as good as they should be. To me, the only team that has anything to offer me currently for Odell Beckham Jr. is the Cleveland Browns. Because the Cleveland Browns currently sit as you probably know, at pick one and pick four of this upcoming draft. If I'm the Giants and the Browns come calling and they say, okay, we feel like we're close enough 
to at least get to the playoffs. And Odell Beckham will push us over the edge. If I'm John Mara, I sit back and I say, okay, the asking price starts at the first and the fourth pick of this upcoming draft. Now, you might sit back and you might say, Rich, that is way too much to ask for. But is it really? Look at Odell's stats. Odell, the youngest receiver, to look up any receiver stat... Odell's probably the youngest to do it. Again, I will go back to the point of how talented this man is. But for some reason, he just cannot get out of his own way. And once he starts to do that, then the Giants will probably pay him instead of entertaining an offer from the Cleveland Browns. But I like to play hypotheticals, so let's just... Let's just say... The Giants are tired of Odell Beckham, and they do trade him for those first and fourth picks in this upcoming draft from the Cleveland Browns. So now you're the Giants, and you sit at one, two, and four. And don't forget about the Jets at number three. If you're John Mara, you're saying to yourself, okay, give me Josh Rosen, give me Saquon Barkley, and then give me Quentin Nelson. And let's go get to the playoffs. Even if Josh Rosen sits for a year behind Eli Manning and just learns, which I think is the the better option, if I'm being honest, you still have Eli Manning, who is a capable quarterback. I'm not I'm I'm not going to sit here and, and say uh, he moves the needle in any way, but he's a capable quarterback. Then you've got Sterling Shepard, who should be healthy, and Evan Engram. And a revamped O-line with adding Nate Solder and then drafting Quentin Nelson. And then you have Saquon Barkley in the backfield. To me, that's a playoff caliber offense. And then you move to the defensive side of the ball and it's probably the same cast of characters. You've got Jack Rabbit back there and Landon Collins and Olivier Vernon. That's a playoff caliber defense. So if I'm the Giants... And I sit there, and Odell is being the same Odell that he is? I'd entertain an offer for the first and the fourth pick. That that revamps your future. That, like I said before, that's not a rebuild. That's a retool. And you're ready to go back for the playoffs. If not this year, definitely next year. A point on the Jets here before we get to a, a, a little bit of a break here. The Jets had, uh, I think it was the most money or second to most money to spend uh, this offseason. And they did a good job. They added certain pieces that I think they added, they needed to add. They added a cornerback, which is good. But this whole quarterback situation that the Jets have going on here is confusing to me. Because... You go out and you, you re-sign Josh McCown, and I'm sitting here and I'm like, okay, you're going to go out, you have the most money to spend, and you're going to go out and improve your team everywhere else to say to your fan base, okay, we're serious about getting back to the playoffs. And then you come back and you add Josh McCown? I mean, I'm, I'm not saying that there were other options out there, yes, of course. 
and I know Josh McCown was a fan favorite, but come on. You're going to go out there and add other pieces, and then your big quarterback signing is going to be Josh McCown, and then you're going to try and tell people that we're going to get back to the playoffs? Stop it. Then they added Teddy Bridgewater to the mix, which is great because I think he's a good quarterback, but does the man have any knees? I mean, you don't know that. You don't know how he is physically. I mean, of course, he passed his physical to sign the deal. But passing a physical and playing in a football game are two totally different things. So that's why. And I will say it time and time again until we get up to our draft special episode. Baker Mayfield to the Jets just makes too much sense. I've been saying it for the longest time. If the Giants didn't take him at number two, then the Jets would have taken him at six. And now that they moved up to three, I think it's a done deal. His attitude, his work ethic, everything about him screams New York. And I think he will fit in perfectly with these New York Jets. And if you draft Baker and then you want to tell me that we're going to charge to the playoffs, now I'll believe you. I'm going to take a quick break. Here's Joe Binder in for Justin Strudzpeck with your sports update. I'm Joe Binder with your sports update. The Notre Dame women's basketball season for the 2018 National Champions. After completing the overtime upset over UConn in the Final Four, the Irish came back to take down Mississippi State 61-58 thanks to a buzzer beater by Arike Ogunbowale. Ogunbowale for the win! Good! Arike Ogunbowale wins the National Championship for Notre Dame! Adam Amin on the call for ESPN. The Loyola Chicago Ramblers' miracle run to the national championship ended in the Final Four after a 69-57 loss to the Michigan Wolverines. Loyola Chicago went into halftime with a 29-22 lead, and it looked like the Cinderella story was going to continue. However, a 47-28 Michigan onslaught in the second half proved to be the Ramblers' downfall. Michigan big man Moritz Wagner led the way for the Wolverines with 24 points and 15 rebounds. Chris Mack has officially been hired as the new head coach of the Louisville Cardinals, replacing the interim Dave Padgett. The deal is said to be worth around $4 million a year over the next seven years. He will look to return Louisville to its former glory before scandal struck the program. Mack's move to the ACC marks the second year in a row that the Big East Coach of the Year has been hired away from their respective program, with Chris Holtman leaving for Ohio State last year. Xavier has already named their replacement for Mack as they promote from within, hiring Travis Steele to a five-year contract. Baseball is back in full swing, and with that comes the debut of Japanese pitching sensation Shohei Otani. Deemed the next Babe Ruth, Otani had a decent first outing, going six innings and striking out six while allowing three runs on three hits. We also had our first complete game shutout over the weekend as Twins youngster Jose Barrios stymied the Orioles' bats to allow just three hits while striking out six. This has been your sports update. I'm Joe Binder. Thank you, Joe. And as you said, baseball is in full swing now as opening weekend has come and gone. And now we get to talk about it. And I will start with those Bronx Bombers, the New York Yankees. They opened up the season 
probably as good as you can. Luis Severino was on the mound. He went five and two-thirds, only gave up one hit, walked only three, struck out seven. Then you moved into the bullpen. Chad Green was good. You know, the Yankees are going to rely on him a lot this year. Last year, uh, he was probably the savior of that bullpen. Uh, So again, the Yankees will rely on him. He went an inning and a third, struck out three, nothing else across the line. Then Dellen Batansis came in. I'm going to save him for later, because we're going to talk about Batansis in depth. And then you get to Chapman. Chapman did what Chapman does. Struck out two, nothing else crossed the line. So going back to the starting lineup for the Yankees on opening day, I liked it. It was it was pretty close to what I had said um, with the subtraction of Greg Bird. Aaron Boone had to adjust a little bit on the fly there. So he had Gardner, Judge, Stanton, Sanchez, Hicks, Gregorius, Drury, Walker, and Austin at first, which I thought was a, a an extremely solid lineup t- with taking out Greg Bird. So it's top of the first. Stanton comes up to bat. There's a runner on. And of course, what does he do? He hits a two-run home run on one of the first pitches he sees as a New York Yankee. I honestly couldn't have seen that go any other way. I wasn't surprised. I really wasn't. And then you get deeper into the game, and then what does he do? He hits another home run. Again, not surprised. It's just the way the Yankees are. The rich get richer. We've said it before. So Stanton has two home runs on opening day. He's probably been waiting for those at-bats for an extremely long time, and he let the ball fly when he did hit it. So that was opening day for the Yankees, like I said. It was a very good day. Judge went two for four. Stanton went three for five. Uh, It was all around a good day for the Yankees. You moved to game number two on Friday the 30th. Masahiro Tanaka started for the Yankees. And again, Tanaka, like we said last week, he's going to be an X factor here for the Yankees because he had a down season last year. But now coming back, he looked good. He went six innings, only gave up three hits. He gave up a run on eight strikeouts. And the only run he gave up was a home run to Randall Gritchick. So, all in all, Tanaka could not have started the season any better than he did. And then you got into the bullpen where the Yankees are extremely... They have so much depth in the bullpen. So now you got two different relievers used on Friday. You got Tommy Canely and David Robertson. Canely struck out one over an inning and a third, and Robertson came in to clean up the last two-thirds of the inning. And then Chapman came in. He did give up a run, but he did also strike out all three batters for all three outs. So he picked up his first save of the season. Then getting back to the Yankees lineup, it was it was pretty much the same except Aaron Hicks then went on the DL. So then they called up Billy McKinney, who had a decent game. He went one for four. I mean, you can't really ask for anything better than that in your first major league game. So Gregorius bat cleanup, and Sanchez batted fifth. Gregorius seemed to like it. He went two for three with two runs and a walk. So all in all, a great start to the season for the Yankees. They go 2-0. You can't ask for anything better. 
Then you move to the next day, Saturday the 31st, and CeCe Sabathia was on the mound. Again, not a, not a bad day for the Yankees. Sabathia went five, gave up five hits, two runs, only earned one of them, and he struck out four. So, it was a good start for Sabathia. Adam Warren came in, and then Holder came in, and they got through the sixth. But then Dylan Batances came in. And oh boy, was that not pretty, Yankees fans. And anybody who watched the game, they knew it was not pretty. Over his two innings, he gave up two runs. Walked one, did strike out four. But he gave up a home run to Yanhervis Solarte, the former Yankee. So Batances again struggling, struggling early in the season. I know it's only four games in, but if you're a Yankee fan, you cannot be confident right now in Dallin Batances. You just can't. There's nothing Batances has done over the past year that has made you say, I want this man in a two-run game. There's nothing. We'll say one thing, though. Stanton went one for three. Judge went 0 for four. But who's picking up the slack is first baseman Tyler Austin, who went two for three with two home runs. So if you're a Yankees fan, the lineup does say to you, hey, listen, if Judge and Stanton have an off day, at least we can produce somewhere else. And it's also great for Tyler Austin, who's, you know, trying to take advantage of how much Greg Bird is hurt. And if you're Tyler Austin and you're hitting two home runs, you've got to say, listen, at least I'm putting up numbers and at least I'm on the field. Then you move to Sunday, and it was really more of the same for the Yankees. The bullpen collapsed again. Sonny Gray only went four, gave up seven hits, but only gave up a run, and he struck out eight. Then again, Chad Green came in, Again, the savior of the Yankees' bullpen went two innings, struck out four, gave up only one hit. Tommy Canely comes in, and this is where it gets a little dicey. He gives up two runs. Then David Robertson comes in, and it was a smoke show. Justin Smoke, with the grand slam off of David Robertson, he gets credited with the blown save, and the loss. Back to the Yankees lineup. Judge went 1 for 3, Stanton 0 for 2. Between the two of them, they walked five times. So as long, even if they're not hitting the ball, they're still getting on base, which is good to see early in the season here. But something I will say is, through the first four games, maybe I was a little overcritical of Brandon Drury. He's batting 385. Arguably one of the most constant Yankee hitters right now in the lineup. So right for right now, I will swallow my words, and I will say that Brandon Drury has had a great start to the season. And I hope he does succeed. And so far he has. So the Yankees not opening the season as great as you would have liked. Because now the Yankees sit at 2-2, two and two, which 
they could have been easily 4-0. I don't think anybody can tell you differently. Easily could have been 4-0. But the Yankees having some Metzian troubles with their bullpen. And listen, I'm not saying it's going to last the whole season because, again, we're only four games in. The Yankees will figure it out. But it's a little concerning. A little concerning here to start the season for the Yankees and their bullpen. Transitioning to the Mets now, and the Mets opened up against the Cardinals, and it was more same old, same old for the Mets. Noah Syndergaard came out, got the opening day start, probably due to DeGrom getting his spring pushed back a little bit. But Thor came out, six innings pitched, six hits. He did give up four runs, but he also struck out ten. And then the bullpen, made up of Gazelman, Swarzak, and Familia, they gave up no hits for the last three innings of the game while striking out five. So really, if you're a Mets fan and you watch that game, a tremendous start to the season. A bull, Your bullpen giving up no hits? Oh, my goodness. What any Mets fan wouldn't have given to get that for the past three seasons, where the bullpen has been abysmal. Now you get to the Mets lineup, and there was... When, when I saw this lineup, I was like, wow, this is terrible. If you follow me on Twitter, I was like, Ooh, wh- what is this? Cabrera batting fourth, and Ploiecki in over Darno, and Syndergaard batting eighth. I was just like, this is, what is Mickey Calloway doing? This is, this is not the first impression you want to make. But boy, was I wrong. Brandon Nimmo, two for three with a walk. Ploiecki, two for three with a walk. Two walks, excuse me, for Ploiecki. Also with a RBI in the game. And then Rosario batting ninth. Like I said, I hated it when I first saw it, but now I love it. Gives you that second leadoff type of type of thing here. So for the Mets, driving in nine runs on opening day without hitting a home run. The, the internet was, the Mets Twitter was up in arms. They were like, well, where are our home runs? That, that was supposed to be our whole offense. What's going on? But hey, this is something the Mets are going to need to do this season. They're going to need to put runs across the board without hitting the ball out of the park. They, it, they're going to have to. And you got a great glimpse of that on opening day. Then you move to Saturday, and the Mets again beat the Cardinals 6-2 behind Jacob deGrom, who didn't look his best, but only gave up one run. Five and two-thirds, four hits, seven strikeouts for him, and like I said, only gave up one run. If you watched the game, you it was easy to see that deGrom was not on top of his stuff. Then, for the Mets again, it was the same three relievers that came in. And nailed the door. Gazelman, Swarzak, and Familia. Swarzak did have to leave the game because what the Mets are calling a strained left oblique, and he's currently day-to-day. But the bullpen being able to close it out there, nothing you can ask, nothing you can ask for that's better than that. Day two's lineup I liked a little bit better. 
mostly because Cabrera wasn't batting cleanup. But I liked it because if you took Nimmo out of the lineup, then, you know, you were struggling for a leadoff hitter. But Cabrera there, was he went 3-for-5 with an RBI, so I have no problems with that. He looked good in the leadoff spot, looked comfortable. Cespedes is having a monster year so far. Jay Bruce struggling a little bit out of the gate. But he'll turn it around. Frazier batting cleanup is where I think he should be, and then Travis right behind him. And Darno with the first home run of the Mets season. Who would have guessed that? I wouldn't have. Lagaris batting. He went two for four. So, Lagaris after his slow spring and essentially lost his center field job to Brandon Nimmo. I'll, I'll argue that with anybody. But again, it was a great start to the season for the Mets, 2-0. And they looked for the season sweep of the Cardinals on Sunday, but unfortunately couldn't find it. Steven Matz only gave up four hits, which is good. But when three of them leave the ballpark... That's not good. He only went four innings, only struck out four, walked three. Then Paul Seawald came in in relief over his two innings, gave up a run. Jacob Rame gave up a run. Jerry Blevins came in for one out. Got the one out, but in the meantime walked two people. And then A.J. Ramos finally saw some action, and he had a clean inning. But I will say... When the bats disappear on this team, it's it's not good. It's not good, especially when you have Mats giving up all these home runs. Cespedes, of course, off to a great start, 364, like we said. Lagares went 3 for 4. He's up to 556. And especially Nimmo now, the, the Mets are saying he has flu-like symptoms, so he might be out for a little bit. So if Lagares can man center field until... Michael Conforto will be activated in what seems like the next few days simply because he caught a flight to New York on Sunday, which blew a lot of people's minds. I mean, this is a man that wasn't supposed to come back until the beginning of May, and now he's going to be back a full month earlier, which is got has to be a morale booster for this team to be fully healthy. And speaking of fully healthy... I forgot to mention this with the Yankees. They've had some DL trouble to begin the season. Aaron Hicks Saturday landed on the DL. Billy McKinney then left the game. Then Adam Warren left the game. It's never good to be bit with the injury bug this early in the season. So hopefully the Yankees can avoid that. Because the offense is there like we've said. It's just going to come down to the pitching. And again, you could say that for either the Mets or the Yankees. If the pitching and the bullpen can hold itself, the offense will take care of the rest. All right, that's going to do it here for episode two of the Rich Behan Show. Just a few reminders before we leave here. If you like the show... If you listen on SoundCloud, make sure to follow us on SoundCloud to get updates when new episodes come out. So if you listen on SoundCloud, that's your option. If you listen on iTunes, which we have finally gotten on after a little technical difficulties here, 
Make sure to listen on iTunes. Make sure to rate on iTunes. That goes a long way, and we greatly appreciate if you rate on iTunes. So again, listen on SoundCloud. Listen on iTunes. Follow us on Twitter. We don't just tweet updates about the show. We tweet updates about New York sports in general. So if you need one-stop shopping, our Twitter is where it's at. All right, no fan questions today, which I was a little upset about. So let's, let's step up our game a little bit, fans. Come on now. We had some great questions the first week, and now you guys, you, you let me down a little bit, but it's okay. We persevered, we had a great show, and it's all right. Like I said, that's going to do it for this week's episode. Hope you liked it. Again, listen on iTunes, listen on SoundCloud, follow on Twitter. That's where all your updates are going to be. Have a great week, everybody. Let's do it again next week.